Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment, visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now let's get into today's episode. Every so often here on Business Creators Radio, we like to return to the theme of keeping your business safe and secure, whether that's from a legal perspective, whether it's from a technology perspective, or what have you. About once a year, and in fact, we did one of these a few months ago, we had an episode on some of the latest you need to be aware of when it comes to cybersecurity, keeping your system safe. And now, what we want to do today is we have a unique opportunity to take this to a higher level. And we were approached by somebody who wanted to share with us a little bit about cyber risk insurance. I'm thinking cyber risk insurance. I've heard of business insurance. I've heard of uh, life insurance. I've heard of car insurance. I've heard of home insurance. Cyber risk insurance? Never heard of it. Doesn't surprise me, though. And when I looked into it, I realized that not only should I have heard of it, but you, the listener, should hear of it, too which is why we are having somebody on today who you're going to absolutely love. His name is Kareem Hijazi. He is the founder and CEO of Prevalion, P-R-E-V-A-L-I-O-N, the fir- a first-of-its-kind cybersecurity SaaS platform that provides businesses with unprecedented visibility into their own network as well as existing third-party partners and potential new partners, acquisitions, or investments, empowering them to mitigate their compromise before it becomes their own. Wow, 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 wow. Lots of great stuff there. He is a serial entrepreneur. He has deep experience in the cybersecurity industry. And Kareem is also passionate about helping organizations to leverage cybersecurity intelligence to gain a strategic business edge in fields like M&A, supply chain management, and cyber risk insurance. So in that official bio, lots of buzzwords, lots of questions. So let's get into it. Kareem Ajazi, come on in. The weather's fine. (laughs) Hey, Adam, how you doing? Great. And I'm so happy to have you here, as, you can, as I'm sure you can tell. And what I'd like to do here, because I know you have a lot of stuff that you're going to uh, share with us today, is I read off your official bio that kind of tells us what you're doing now. But sure. what we like to do here at Business Creators Radio Show, because usually by this point, we have somebody who's leaning in and they're binging the Yahoo out of the Googles in a separate browser tab about Kareem Hijazi spelled K-A-R-I-M-H-I-J-A-Z-I, you're welcome, and his company Prevalion, P-R-E-V-A-I-L-I-O-N. Again, you're welcome. Now, what I'd like to do is just sort of take a step back here. Let's get to know a little bit about your journey and what has transpired that's brought you here today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and making a difference for your community, market, and audience. Sure, Adam. No, I appreciate that. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, I've uh, had a pretty interesting and varied career spanning back to the early 2000s where I was a 
uh, counterintelligence consultant, but for corporate clients. And that seems pretty interesting. I know, and I usually bring that up. People kind of give me that little weird head tilt. Like I had no idea that existed. And part of the reason that I did do that is because it really didn't. I was one of the few that was really pursuing uh, counterintelligence initiatives on behalf of corporate clients that I, that I found to be the most targeted by the adversaries, nation state or otherwise. Um, the governments obviously have their teams that are more than equipped and adequate to handle those kinds of problems, but corporate environments don't. And uh, I saw a huge need and decided to pursue that and fill it. And I worked as a consultant as uh, for, for that, that period of time, pretty much from around 2000 to 2010, helping organizations understand all the vectors of infection and attack that they could be subject to. In 2010, I tried my hand at taking some of the tools that we were using and productizing them into something that I could sell and effectively, instead of selling myself and my team by the pound, why don't I try to build a tool that would automate the process or provide something that the companies could use directly? And we were very successful. I was able to get a company called Unvalence off the ground in 2010. Uh, that company was uh, pursuing adversaries in a similar way to Prevalian, but with very different types of technology. And we were understanding where these adversaries were infecting organizations and we were helping those organizations clean up or uh, mitigate that, that, that risk or that problem um, or, or that compromise more specifically. Right. Ended up selling that company to Mandiant. Uh, those of you that have been in the industry know who that company is. And that company in turn was then sold further on to a company called FireEye in 2012. Yeah, um, I've actually heard of FireEye. Yep, yep. Very well-known company, very successful uh -huh. firm. Um, I ended up taking a little bit of time off, pontificating my next challenge. And then uh, in late 2016, 2017, I came up with Prevalian, which uh, is what I'm doing today. Great, great. Well, thank you very much for sharing that with us. And, sure. um, and so in your, I know there's a series of questions we discussed in the green room before we turn the microphones on here that we want to kind of mm -hmm. get through. Uh, there are a couple things inside your bio itself that I caught that I wanted to just make sure that we define our terms. Sure. So one of which is, is, um, I imagine this is something you could look up on the, in the dictionary, but I'd like to hear your definition of the term cybersecurity intelligence. Sure. So really cybersecurity in, in its own right is this vast collection of services and products that help organizations defend themselves effectively against or ineffectively, unfortunately, sometimes against adversaries and bad actors looking to, uh, work against them, harvest information, sell it, uh, or sabotage them, right? The, the word intelligence sort of interestingly fits along with that because that is the driving force behind the cybersecurity initiatives. It's the, think about it like a government agency would, an NSA or a CIA, where that intelligence helps a decision process manifest, right? So if I know I've got a very specific targeted group looking at me, uh, for either an information harvesting campaign or they're looking to sabotage my environment, say I'm a utility like a power grid and they're looking to take me down, I know more about what I'm trying to defend myself against with that intelligence so that I can activate those cybersecurity protocols and procedures and, and practices and, and products for that matter and put them into play. So it one begets the other 
uh, to kind of give you a broad definition of what that means. Great. And I think that's a great segue into mm -hmm. our discussion here. So let's start from the bottom, shall we say, and work our way up, if sure. to use that, to use that uh, analogy or that metaphor. So in your experience, your hands-on experience with this, Kareem, what is wrong with the way most businesses approach cybersecurity today? That's a great question, Adam. Part of the problem is that organizations have taken a very defensive stance for years. And in the earlier era of this coming about, it worked. Things like firewalls and antivirus were enough. They, they kept the bad guys out and whatever did manage to get in was identified and effectively quarantined and eradicated. And it, it yeah. worked for, for a while. Unfortunately, the dynamic nature of the problem uh, suggests that, as dynamic suggests, it, it, it morphed, it advanced, it evolved, and the right. adversaries figured a way to, to, to get past that. And unfortunately, where we are today is that the adversaries have effectively found ways to bypass just about every security product that's defensive in nature, period. I mean, there's almost nothing that you can de facto standard by that will protect you without any real work. Everything's a learning process. Everything's a re-engineering effort. Every time an adversary changes uh, the, their, their, their method. And so that's an expensive and, and very difficult and ongoing effort that most organizations are simply just not up to, to do. Yeah, you know, you point out something that I think is very key. And you mentioned that a lot of companies take a defensive approach to it. Correct. And what we have with a defensive approach is Obviously, if we want to look at it strictly from a dictionary perspective, it's the opposite of proactive. So you're not really doing anything to go out there and sort of hold off the cyber threats or do anything to mitigate cyber threats. You're basically just looking for, well, what are the threats out there and do we have our, and do we have our asses covered on this essentially? Right. So, and you know, I, there's something I say whenever I hear somebody say, cover your ass or cover my ass, I say, you know what? If you want to cover your ass, wear baggy sweatpants and a long coat <laughs> because uh, because beyond yeah. that, you ain't got much coverage. Just real yeah. plain, plain and simple. Now, normally I use that phrase when it comes to somebody who says that they sent me an email for CYA. It's like, I don't really care about it. I wasn't looking at your ass in the first place. <laughs> and again, long coat, baggy pants. Right. <laughs> what we're looking for is how do we stop the problem before it even starts or how do we if we are in a situation where there is a problem how are we solving it now and putting off the autopsy till later now how many times i'm just gonna ask you this question and i imagine you're gonna chuckle at this but how many times have you had situations where uh people <laughs> they got themselves into a cyber nightmare and they decide, oh, now's a great time to have uh, internal finger pointing and hand wringing and pearl clutching and everything else about what maybe should have been done. Uh, meanwhile, the cyber threat is happening right then and there. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you get more than a chuckle, Adam. That is almost the de facto standard of how organizations contend with these issues today. It's always in retrospect of, well, now that it's happened, let's deal with it. So it's a lot of cleanup versus prevention, which is the unfortunate state of the union that we're in today, right? The asymmetric yeah. nature of this makes it so, right? The adversaries know they can keep trying 
and succeed once while we on the good side can only fail once and then they're in, right? So it's a real yeah. asymmetric problem. But yeah, and, and I, I gotta say, I like your analogy around the baggy pants and the, and the, and the trench coat for probably <laughs> reasons you haven't thought about, but that is because you're obfuscating what the attack surface actually looks like. So instead of wearing spandex, <laughs> yeah. where you know exactly where all the crevices are and the entry points might be, excuse the pun, yeah. uh, it is indeed very hard to figure out where that entry point is. And that's a very big part of this, which is to limit your, your, the awareness that the adversary has of your attack surface. That's a brilliant analogy you brought up. So I guess that the basics of cybersecurity go a little bit beyond requiring people to have passwords that are a little bit more secure than the name of their dog with the number one after it. Unfortunately, yes. It's gotten <laughs> a lot more complicated these days. And, uh, and, and you know, we, we saw, I, I can't remember exactly which company it is, but I'm sure you know right off the top of your head. Uh, recently, there was some company in the news. Uh, it, I, I don't know if it was Equifax. I don't even want to say mm -hmm. for sure you would know, but uh, mm -hmm. in one of their servers, or something, or their databases, I believe the username was admin and the password was admin or something like that, that pretty right. much anybody could just walk into. And this right. is a multi-billion dollar company dealing yep. with, I believe, credit data. Correct. And, and really what this is, is a lack of configuration by the teams, right? So this is just a simple failure on a human front. The problem with hacking is to most people, it's a very magical, very mysterious thing. The reality is it really isn't. It's just about waiting for someone to make a mistake or be lazy. And in that case, it was absolutely the latter of the two, right? They just didn't oh, go yeah. and reconfigure something or, or modify it to be custom. They just said, ah, you know what? No one's going to find that. But, you know, somewhere across the planet, somewhere where the adversary was brewing, the, the, hatching this idea, they probably had the same infrastructure and they knew exactly what those passwords and usernames were, uh, the defaults, and they just used them and it worked. Hey, you remember that uh, for much longer than they really should have, uh, when you did the quote unquote, they don't even call it this anymore, I don't think, but back when they used to call it the famous five minute install of WordPress or right. when... Uh, when web hosting companies integrated the one-click WordPress installer into their cPanels and things like that, it would set the username by default to be admin. Right. Now, anybody who's done it once knows that it's actually very simple to simply set up a new admin user with a better username, then log in as that admin user and delete the one that has the username admin. Right. But to this day, in fact, it happened a couple months ago, I ran into a WordPress site where the username was in fact still admin. And I happen to be aware that there are brute force scripts that look for the username to be admin. And once they find admin, they're already halfway there. So now all they have to do is run their little spinner till they generate the password. So spot one, uh, Clio one, uh, uh, Sparky one, uh, Cuddles one. So they just run through a list of pet names until they find it. Right, exactly. And that's the problem is these tools that come pre-configured um, because they got they have to have something in place and really they right. keep it pretty simple. You know, even your home router, for example, or, yeah. uh, you know, that's another one, right? So that's what's scary about that is that most people don't realize it's not always your computer or your phone. It's things that are ancillary and 
more infrastructure like that can get compromised and you will never know because there's no AV for your router. Yeah. No one ever has a clue, you know, and there's now mind you, that's not exactly software. That's firmware. We don't want to Uh get into the nuances in this, in this call, but, but, you know, really um, it is an interesting and scary proposition that the, the average American home could be compromised and it isn't even the device that they're working on. It's the piece of, equipment that's connecting them to the internet that could very well be compromised. Yeah. Uh, my router has a very strong password on it to the point that I can't remember it. I have to, <laughs> I actually, I actually keep it written down on a piece of paper in my safe because I don't remember it even. So anytime I add a new device to my network or I reboot my smartphone or I do the annual system restore of my computers to keep them fresh, right. I have to go get that piece of paper and look it up and squint at it. And that's fine by me. Right. Uh, Adam, so, you're, you're better than most because I gotta yeah. admit, most people are keeping their, they keep their passwords on some sort of notepad file on their phone. Yeah. It's usually the first thing harvested by, by an adversary. So. Preci- precisely. So uh, yeah, just a little quick tip for our listeners. If you want to generate a strong password, there are many websites that have a little generator on it. One of them literally has the URL strongpasswordgenerator.com. You can decide how many characters, whether you want it to have special characters, whether you want it to start with a capital letter. There are so many different combinations and you can make whatever password you want at no matter what level of security or what have you. But just a real quick question, since we're on it, and I do want to move on to our main topic here is, um, you know, uh, you do see people that say, well, hey, I'm going to keep a simple password on my Wi-Fi because, hey, I don't care if somebody uses my Wi-Fi to watch Netflix. And when my friends come over, I want to be able to give them an easy to use password. All right. right. What doors are they opening up? Just real quick. Oh, I mean, literally everything. Um, the sheer fact that you're giving someone access to that And this actually kind of ties into our actual topic here, which is if you let a buddy of yours in, Uncle Bob, that has a laptop that he wants to get on the network for, say, Christmas or or just had Thanksgiving, right? Or Christmas holidays coming up. We don't really know what Uncle Bob's been surfing at home with or or at work. And he Uh could be bringing in all kinds of uh, unwanted software and malware and viruses that will then propagate out through your network once you give them access. So that's, that's the real problem here. The, there's a slightly better way and a lot of technology today does have this ability to set up a guest network that's separate. Now, I'm not trying to sit here and tell anyone that that's gonna secure your environment from a problem, right. but at least it segregates it just slightly that much more away from your core. Because frankly, everything that is on that same network is now subject to those same threats that Mr. You know, Mr. Uncle Bob brought in. And that's exactly what you're going to be facing if you let someone in on your network. So, so that actually answers a, a natural follow-up question because uh, there are a number of businesses I frequent around town here in Las Vegas uh, where I have, uh, you know, I, I always use access to their Wi-Fi simply because sure. if I'm on my phone, I don't want to drain its minutes. And if I have my laptop, well, you know, they got some sweet Wi-Fi. So I think what you're telling me is that in all likelihood, they have a guest network set up for the people who come sit in their lounge or, or sit in their restaurant or what have you that may be separate from the network they're using for their, for their financial <laughs> transactions. What one would hope. <laughs> one would hope, yeah. Well, one would know, hope, you, but you're saying that that would be, that would be, I mean, there's no such thing as ideal when it comes to this, sure. but that would be closer to ideal than say, hey, let's just get a router and just put a simple password on it and give it away. 
Well, true. And, and then that actually brings this whole third party risk problem up. For example, if you remember the target hack that happened a number of years ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and guess what? They use the HVAC, the, the air conditioners network access to bounce from that to the POS systems, the point of sale systems. So there wasn't actually a, a, a good air gapped uh, environment in place there. The malware was able to find its way in through what was supposed to be separate but was not. So to, yeah. to your point, you're absolutely right. That is the hope that there is indeed a separate network. But in many, many cases, back to the laziness factor, people don't bother setting up a separate network. They just say, ah, you know what, just hand that password out and no biggie. <laughs> just like an airport or university, you're, 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 do not expect to leave that environment safely or without carrying something home with you if you, if you get onto those networks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so this is, so this is the micro level. And I think this is a great time to jump back into our plan and let's right. go to the macro level. Sure. So in your experience, why is it so difficult to prevent breaches, even in cases where businesses are spending millions of dollars to protect their networks? And just, just so you're aware, the avatar for Business Creators Radio Show is a company that has anywhere from two to 10 employees or contractors and gross revenues of upwards of 250K a year. So right. we're, so we're, so we're small to medium mostly. And our sweet spot are the companies that are making the transition from solopreneurial ventures to leveraged organizations, just so you understand what a lot of our audience is. But I want to sure. highlight the companies that have million dollars to spend on it, and even they're having a hard time. So what's up with that? So that's, that's a great question and a good segue. Part of the problem here is that, that those types of companies, those smaller now, certainly this doesn't mean that the enterprise organizations are not a target. They absolutely are. It's just that the easier pickings or the, uh, the organizations that frankly are low hanging fruit, if you will, to use that term, are, the, are exactly what you just mentioned. They're the ones that the adversary knows probably don't have very good security or what we call in the industry OPSEC or operational security in place. Uh, and which adds insult to injury here is they're using partners and they're working with supply chain partners uh, or even possibly contractors or customers even that, that represent a vector of, and when I say vector, I mean a conduit to get infected. So you might be able to secure your own perimeter, if you will. Uh, so, you know, you've got a small business and you've got a firewall and you've got the AV set up and you've got even intrusion detection systems in place uh, and a whole bevy of other things. But what happens when you say, like we brought up in the former example, you let a contractor into your network because you need to. They need to be able yeah. to either pipe information out from procurement or, you know, it doesn't have to do anything with security. It, it could be a contractor that you, you're using for a service and they are not secure. Now, the, all of a sudden, their problems could become yours and, and many oftentimes do. Right. Right. And, and here, let me give you a, a real basic example of what we see at the small to medium range is companies will hire other firms to manage some of their social media. And I'm going to cite yep. LinkedIn as a, as a specific example of this because it's a big deal with LinkedIn. LinkedIn is very proactive about tracking the IP addresses of people who log into accounts. Mm -hmm. So if they start to notice that a lot of different IP addresses are logging into your account, they'll flag it. If they notice that one IP address seems to be logging into a lot of accounts, 
I've seen cases, and this actually happened to me once, where they will track that IP address, and if they determine that that IP address uh, uh, is owned by some agency that manages social media, they'll just lock all the accounts, and they'll make the users of those accounts say in writing, I promise that I personally will be the only one who ever logs into my account before, and they'll actually make them type those words. Like, right. they want you to do the walk of shame over it before they'll unlock your account again. So uh, I'm going to reveal something that's a secret to absolutely nobody. Companies deal with this by having their social media managers use go to my PC to come into their network. Mm -hmm. So it is going through their IP address and there's no way to track otherwise. Right. All that, all that security that was put in place to limit access is literally tunneled by and bypassed when you have something like a go to my PC that, literally takes the the adversary on the other side is able to get credentials and they can walk right through all that security and not have to bother with it yeah that is that is something which is uh which is why i mean you know, i have cases where people go to my pc into my network and i again i know there's no such thing as ideal here but right. uh the go to my pc i i do some of the basic stuff uh you know i i, I require strong passwords i have it under different email addresses and people would normally associate with my business. Um, I even go half a step further, which is to have a dedicated computer that is that just stays online all the time and is only used as a portal for go to my PC. It's not connected to my um, internal network of hard drives. It's not connected to any of my cloud redundant storages or anything like that. The only thing that computer does is sit there so that when somebody needs to portal in and then use a web browser to go to LinkedIn or Facebook or something like that, that's it. Right. And yeah, you're good. gonna, you're probably shaking your head thinking, oh, you amateur newbie. But the reality, <laughs> but the reality is there are a lot of companies where that's the best solution they have. So I'm speaking for them. No, absolutely, Adam. And look, any effort is better than no effort. So, so the issue is that while it may not be impervious and it's certainly not going to keep a very motivated attacker out, at least there's something there that is in place that's helping limit that, that exposure. So that's yeah. good. I mean, I think there, there's always room for improvement, even with, with us, even the professionals that do this. We're always adapting and learning to the new ways that the adversaries are moving. Um, so yeah, no, that's, that's a great start. Yeah, well, thank you for letting me off easy on that one. I was afraid I was going to come in for a major spanking on that. Uh, <laughs> but the, but the, the other fact is I know a lot of companies that do exactly that. And I think there may be exactly zero people who are going to be surprised hearing that and know the slightest thing about me because they're probably doing it too. In fact, I know owners of social media agencies that in some cases will give their clients a laptop to put onto, that, to put onto the client network just for that purpose. Right. That's exactly. how far they'll go. They'll actually give their client a laptop just so that there's a machine they can use for the portaling that's not connected to everything else that client is doing. Right. Yeah. Right. Unfortunately, and, and this just comes back to the reality, that laptop being online, literally the fact that it has an internet connection of any kind does subject it to being found by either automated bots that are looking for something to compromise. And if it is found, uh, or if it's targeted, this, that's a whole different conversation, then it's as good as done. And, and now you've effectively provided a hypodermic needle into your environment uh, for yeah. an adversary. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, and again, that just, I, I think all these things we point out and even some of my own mea culpas here in effect show that 
it's actually hard out. I mean, it's, it's tough out there. And, and uh, in order to do business operations, sometimes you have to make decisions. And this is why I, part of the reason I wanted to bring you on here, because I wanted to give our listeners just a framework for trying to do the best they can. Uh, here's another common gripe. Uh, and I dealt with this just the other day. Uh, what an Amazon account that I have access to. I needed access to the Amazon account because of its AWS, because there were some files on there and such. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, the password on that account changed. It actually turned out that uh, my client had changed it. I didn't know. And so I thought, okay, well, maybe they did a uh, password change. So I you know, used the password change thing and it would not send me a link uh, or the, uh, or the one-time password that Amazon normally sends. And then I had to go through all other kinds of hoops. And finally, I had to uh, call the general Amazon customer service and persuade them that they actually did need to deal with this, even though AWS's own policy says we don't render support over the phone. So right. you have to, so yeah, so that was like persuasion ninja work I did <laughs> to get back into the account. And so yeah, social engineer yourself back in. <laughs> right. So this, yeah, so this leads to, uh, so this leads to a phrase I'm about to use. And this also comes up for me sometimes where when I go into my online banking and I try to log in once using the current password. Did you hear that? One time using the current password, and it immediately locks out, locks me out. Stated reason, multiple login attempts with incorrect password. And then I have to call them to have it unlocked. And then they let me just reuse the same password again. Right. So, so the phrase I'm about to use is protecting data from its own users. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and interestingly enough, what you mentioned when you've tried, you've done it once and it says multiple times, and that's why you're locked out is because yes, you may have tried once. That doesn't mean someone else wasn't trying before you. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they failed luckily or hopefully <laughs> strong but, passwords. Yep. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Every, everybody knows my cats are named Alessandra and Stella. So if I were to use the password Stella one, uh, I'm pretty much asking for it. Oh yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, when I see, when I see these quizzes on social media, like tell us the name of your first car and your favorite movie and your first boyfriend or girlfriend, uh, your mother's maiden name. And I'm thinking, uh, do you realize these are fishing expeditions? Mm -hmm. People exactly. come on. And, uh, and you know, and the other thing that I, that just, you know, this frosts me is that people still use their mother's maiden name as a security feature. Right. Right. And, and the problem with that is that it's ubiquitous across just about every security question on anything. So once yeah. you have it for one, uh, you know, that pretty much gives the adversary carte blanche with your entire life. Precisely. Precisely. Yeah, you, you got it. And see, here's the problem with mother's maiden name is um, I'm, and I say this and, and sometimes people perceive it with a bit of shock value. Um, I do want people to shock by this because I want them to recognize what a big hole that is. If right. you're using the mother's maiden name, uh, Kareem, I'm sure you're aware that there are a lot of cultures such as pretty much every Hispanic or Latino or Spanish type culture where the person's name is formed by the father's name followed by the mother's name. So right. the mother's maiden name is literally part of their name. Yep. You don't need to really do, you don't even need to like, uh, you know, go on mylife.com and, and take a wild guess through their scraped data to figure that one out. It's handed to you. Yep. 
It's right there for the taking. Most information that these guys need to get access to, to anyone is usually open source. It's out there to be found. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, if big companies are having problems with this and small to medium sized companies are having problems with this, uh, this really tells us a lot about why we need a proactive approach. So before we get into that proactive approach, and uh, I know you have a few tips to get our listeners started with that, uh, let's get into, you know, we've covered Wi-Fi networks, we've covered uh, different business sizes, we've covered, uh, you know, the brilliance of using your mother's maiden name as your security question and things like that. So now let's get into uh, chains, as in supply chains. So most organizations that have complex supply chains, which especially in my opinion, applies to small to medium sized businesses because they use a lot of outsourcing rather than doing stuff in house. How do they manage their cyber risk? So yeah, that's, that's the big question these days, which is what do we do now that we've effectively done all we can for our own environment? What are we going to do about the partners that we have? Because we can't go in there and fix their problems for them. Uh, but, and, and furthermore, what are we going to be able to do to, to sort of limit our exposure to them? And the answer is first and foremost, find out who is compromised around you. And I like to use biological terms here, Adam. Um, I consider things like, uh, a partner that you are dealing with that may or may not have good. Remember the term we used earlier, OPSEC is effectively a contagious partner. They are literally someone that's infected that could very well perpetuate or propagate a malware or some sort of infection onto you. And to know that in advance would be worth gold. Um, and that preemptive, proactive effort is indeed what we're, we're suggesting to do at this point. And that's, that's the key. We're trying to get people to be aware of exactly what their periphery looks like so they can then take action appropriately. Yeah, I, I'm so glad that we mentioned the phrase OPSEC because... Uh, there's a sort of, there's developed sort of a stigma around the phrase OPSEC. As soon as somebody says OPSEC, they say, oh, 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 you're one of those preppers. <laughs> well, right. OPSEC, which yeah, is something that we all should practice in our daily lives. Uh, I was on a discussion forum a few months ago, and the topic came up about, you know, how women stay safe from being assaulted and attacked. And I pointed out in the thread, and Nobody argued with me on this because it's common sense. I was expecting some flamer to, to uh, troll me on this, but it didn't happen. I said, well, you know, there's a lot of things that men need to do to stay safe, too. It's not really a male or a female issue or, or whatever gender you proclaim yourself to be. It's a simple safety issue. And some of the things are common sense. Right. Take different routes back home in case, somebody, in case somebody's marking you. Move in and out of your residence at different times of day to throw off somebody who's tracking your patterns. Don't have loud telephone conversations while you're sitting out on your balcony. Boy, I'd love to have some conversations with my neighbors about that one. Holy God. Uh, When you are unlocking your door, do not turn your back to the world because that is one of the most vulnerable moments of your day. This is common sense stuff. And this is the OPSEC for just keeping you safe on a daily basis. You should have some OPSEC in your business as well when it comes to cybersecurity. Right, exactly. And, and that's the thing that most organizations don't realize is that, that that is the most obvious exposure that exists today. With You mentioned the fact that businesses have to continue and there has to be a certain level of efficiency. The problem is security is, 
really diametrically opposed to efficiency. The faster everything yes. gets, the more insecure it actually is. Well, yeah, yeah, and you know that comes up a lot. Um, I have friends who are uh, have digital marketing firms and web design firms and things like that, and their clients will have two-step authentication on things like their GoDaddy account or their web hosting account or something like that. Now, the, the reason why a company would hire a digital marketing agency or a web development agency is because they need somebody with whom they can work asynchronously. And if that person needs to get into your account and they can't get into your account unless they get a message that's sent to, a, a code that's sent to your cell phone every time they try to log in, that defeats the idea of asynchronous work because if I have a if I'm working with a web development company and I'm paying them a big retainer, which a lot of smart businesses do, uh, the first thing that I'm going to be thinking of is, okay, so when my websites get hacked or they go down or something's wrong with the server, it's going to be great that somebody else can jump in and work on this without me having to get personally involved. So right. then you require that a code gets sent to my cell phone so that they can do their job. That's me getting personally involved. That means I can't go on vacation. That means I can't turn my alerts off at night in case something happens in the middle of the night and somebody over there happens to have the lights on and catches it while it happens. Right, exactly. So how does that help? And, and what do we do about that? Is there anything we can yeah. do to create a better balance of security and efficiency so that we have the security and at the same time, we don't have that level of just absolute unleveraged cluster. Yeah, no, you bring up an excellent point, Adam. The, the, the real crux of this is that the industry, if you will, and the people in my profession, we are guilty of something which is uh, basically fear mongering. It can be, you've heard the term FUD, which is yep. FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. So that is a tool with, you know, I'll say that shamelessly. It is certainly something that we do share like we did in this conversation so far, which is to say there are problems, there are risks, there, are, there, is, there is a big bad wolf out there to be afraid of that's gonna hurt your business. But right. you also have to prioritize and decide what indeed is worth pursuing and, and spending money on versus what's not and what is worth limiting versus what's not. And that prioritization is the hard part today because you, if you give uh, you know, a, a fear mongering security practitioner, you know, the, the ability to share everything, they're going to scare you into submission and you're frankly going to shut your business down inadvertently. Yeah. <laughs> so uh -huh. it is definitely that balance. It is, it is figuring out what is worth chasing versus what is somewhat benign and, and frankly, you can disregard it. And that's, that's the challenge. Yeah. And, and when you have a case like that, and I've seen issues where you have the clients in this situation who maybe for reasons of their own, because they've been ripped off before, have reasons to be uh, cautious about this stuff. But then for that same reason, they can get, you know, involved with, uh, with all kinds of uh, fear mongering. Like I had a case where I know somebody who owns a digital marketing agency and they had to go through two-step authentication so they could log into the client's GoDaddy account to, uh, to, do, uh, to set up hosting using the A name instead of the DNS servers. And you know enough to know that that's a lot, that uh, that means you usually have to go in and set in like TTLs and all other sort of stuff that our listeners are now rolling their eyes over ready to jump. Mm -hmm. Right? Absolutely. Uh, now, 
how many times have you heard of where they, the person who goes in and does that advanced DNS work follows the instructions they were given by their web hosting company, but then it turns out the instructions were incorrect, so now they have to go back into the GoDaddy account, and I'm not picking on GoDaddy, it's just a name we all know, uh, to do more advanced DNS work to get it right. But then, even though only an hour has elapsed, oh, well, the client already changed the password again, and now the client's incognito, so now we have to schedule a time with the client so they're available to receive a text message. Meanwhile, right. we've now added days to something that should take minutes. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And, and the other, you add another uh, aspect of this, which is a lot of listeners may or may not know about it, but uh, the internet's a big, big thing now. And the information that you change now has to propagate or spread across the entire internet. So it's updated and that takes time these days. And so unfortunately, you know, change that this is what makes it all the more confusing is that when you make a change, sometimes it's not immediate. And uh, this is far too complicated to get into right now. But that's another way that adversaries take advantage of a situation. You make a change, you don't see a change, but then they know it's happened. And then they can take advantage of it. Wow. Yeah, they are watching 24 seven. And, uh, and, you know, here's, uh, you know, here's, in my work, including in my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy, I deal with the power of the subtleties of language. Like there's an entire section of my book that's about how you simply rearrange words and phrases to create different meanings and new synergies between people and work groups. Like simply the difference between wouldn't you agree versus saying I agree. That's just one example. So take that same ability to use things that people recognize and feel to be within the realm of their own truth. Mm -hmm. And you have somebody who is working away on their laptop. They themselves are not a really technical person and their screen turns blue and they're told they have to call this toll-free number and they call the toll-free number and they're informed that yes, their machine has been hacked and for $300 it can be fixed right now. And I hear this story the next day from the person who actually I heard it for about the same day because they actually telephoned me and told me about it. And they said, yeah, well, thank God they were there to help me. And they picked up when I called the toll free number. I said, what? <laughs> and they said, well, 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 they're a reputable company. Their name is it solutions. I heard about them in the news hmm. said, what? See, see what they do. Oh yeah. They, they, you would, you would assume that a company called IT Solutions. I mean, even somebody who doesn't know computers or anything. You know, if you say something like IT Solutions, they probably know enough to say, "Well, that's a company that does internet technology." So, uh, yeah, IT Solutions. They're like the number one. Right. Right. Uh huh. So yeah, I sent I sent that person beelining to their twenty four seven online banking support to have that one blocked before it got charged the next day. Absolutely. Yeah, but that just showed, and this was an intelligent person. Sure. Who got conned into this. So, oh, imagine, yeah. so imagine somebody who doesn't know. So imagine what can be done uh, with people who don't know or don't have that level of sophistication. Right, absolutely. No, that's never going to change. That's hacking the human in the equation, right? Uh -huh. And that's, that's something that really is the, the crux of where most of these adversaries are. They're banking on that lack of education and lack of awareness to, to get in. Yeah. Yeah. So here's where I think that a lot of people are going to 
find that now is the time to really lean in and begin to think about the lessons that can be learned from Kareem Hijazi and how he could perhaps help them. So this is where we get to have some fun. Uh, people are looking at this and they're saying, wow, all this cybersecurity stuff, I barely have enough money to afford the damn router, much less put in like all these layers. So putting in a strong password, pal, that's all I can do. So they're looking at this from it being a cost, an expense. Mm -hmm. And a lot of businesses just, they, it's not, you know, you can have all the conversations about use your credit cards as, as business loans or whatever. But the fact is they ain't got the money. Right. So let's create a new appeal. Let's create a new mind frame, if you will. And let's, instead of looking at cybersecurity risk management from a cost center perspective, let's flip it and make it look like a profit center perspective. How do we do that? That's a great question. And uh, I think that that's exactly where our mentality has been from the beginning with Prevalian, which is to say, instead of dealing with, as we said in the beginning of this, this interview, dealing with this in a, in a, 20 hindsight 2020 approach or in or, or in retrospect with this happened and now we're having to kind of mop up all the mess that's that's ensued yeah how about we preempt this and what we afford companies the ability to do is literally figure out who is best in class to work with before they even work with them and what i mean by that is say you're you know acme and you want to decide to work with either company A, B, or C as this contractor for some sort of capability, like you mentioned. Yeah. You'd be able to look at company A and company B and company C and determine whether they're actively compromised in real time through us. And what that gives the client, in this case, Acme, the ability to do is say, you know what? Company A is actively compromised by this malware that looks like they've systemically been compromised for the last three months. I'm staying a million miles away from that. I don't need to get near it. That's way too dangerous. While these two other companies seem to have managed their risks pretty well, while they've had some outbreaks from the look of this, they looks like they've managed them fairly well. And company B looks like they're really quick at doing that because the pattern that I'm able to see here is that things happen, but then they get remediated and resolved very quickly. Yeah. That's my winner. And by being preemptive and proactive to take your terms earlier on, that saves Acme from a huge amount of despair later on when they pick yeah. the wrong one from the beginning. Yeah, um, I like to take concepts like cybersecurity and link them to some of the hot buttons that we all speak of in one way or another. So I'm going to use uh, a phrase that I'm sure is going to trigger somebody. You ready? Mm -hmm. Obamacare. <laughs> so uh, regardless of whether you love Obamacare or whether you want to repeal and replace or whether you're waiting for Trump care, you're waiting to see who the next president is. So maybe we can have a health plan named after that next president, whoever it is. Let's look at what the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare would have you, let's look at something that it actually does attempt to do. Uh, my argument about all this healthcare debate is, you know, you can name it after Obama or Trump or whoever, and that's just, to me, that's just political theater. What are we doing about working on the ridiculous cost of healthcare in America? And that's, that's something that I think a lot of people can agree on. It's out of control. And most people have a story from themselves or from somebody they know and love about how they just got ripped 
in fees over some simple something that leads them right. to the point where they don't even necessarily want to seek health care, where they'll live in pain because the cost of dealing with it would be worse. Right. Here's something that that legislation has attempted to do uh, is it brings more of a focus than we ever had before in this country on preventive care. And that is a cost-saving or um, a revenue-protecting type thing to consider. Because if you're dealing with preventive care, which means, you know, we'll give you a free doctor's visit every year, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll facilitate being able to get urgent care and things like that, you know, some of the things that actually have been positive benefits, that is working on costs, that is working on profits, if we want to take it one step further, because it's dealing with catching things as they're happening or before they're, they happen, rather than waiting until the person gets the full-blown disease and then trying to deal with it. Because it's easier to catch cancer in stage one than it is in stage four. Where do you, I mean, look at the survival rates. Sure. Right, see? Yep. So you can take that same debate and you can create analogies and apply that to cybersecurity, which is if you have a firm like yours that comes in and maybe, uh, I don't know if you do uh, you know, cyber risk audits or you have a preventive plan or a maintenance plan or something like that. I mean, we'll give you a moment here in a moment to tell us just a little bit about what you do. Uh, you could be nipping things in the bud that might cost them $1,000 to deal with today, but that's better than $20,000 plus emergency business disruption because they didn't catch it. You nailed it, Adam. That's exactly the issue here. Um, that preventative, proactive effort is what makes all the difference in the world. Reputationally, too, I'm not talking just about what they effectively lose in terms of intellectual property or the sabotage or the ransomware that might ensue. I'm talking about the stakeholder confidence in the firm, everything. You know, customers that would otherwise trust them, but then they hear about a breach and they decide, you know what, I'm just going to go to the competitor now because this organization is going to probably lose my information if I continue to go to them. So, so there's a huge cost to not being proactive and preventative uh, to your point. And um, you're absolutely right. What we provide though actually is even better than an audit or any kind of service. We're not a service organization. We're a product. So yeah. it's a platform that uh -huh. the organization's able to access with logins and credentials and they can then search for any organization that they either want to work with or currently work with, or in the case of a larger organization, perhaps it's an organization they want to acquire. And they can then take a look and say, oh, you know what? Remember the SPG Marriott merger that resulted in Marriott getting compromised because they kind of swallowed a poison pill with SPG? Um, that's exactly something that we would help limit. You would know that you are possibly consorting with someone or some group that's infected. So your parallels to healthcare are perfect. They're exactly the same thing. The, the epidemiology of malware and cyber threats are identical to biological ones. Exactly. Um, so, you know, I think now would be a decent time to actually make that segue because we have just a few minutes left here. So, uh, you know, if I go to prevalion.com, a great website, by the way, okay. I see that you have uh, a description of your platform. I see that you have a demo. Now, unfortunately, with Business Creators Radio Show, we can't do a full out demo here. But I did say prevalion.com, uh, product placement, uh, 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 all right. Uh, and I know that somebody can go to your company, they can request a demo to see how your, how your system works. So 
since we're dealing with this whole issue of uh, mitigating cybersecurity risks and how we uh, have a, a product that helps them do it, uh, tell us a little bit about just how that works so they can begin to see themselves dealing with some of these issues in an efficient and proactive way. Sure. So most organizations that provide any level of third-party audit or, or cybersecurity risk analysis have to look at the organization or deploy something on the inside of the organization to understand what they might be contending with. With Prevalian, we've decided to flip it around. So we actually go hunt down the adversary's infrastructure, literally where the adversaries are stealing and depositing the stolen goods, and we figure out where that is, and we sit there and basically lurk. And we wait for the victims to call out to that environment, which gives us an unprecedented view. And we use the term telemetry on who is victimized. So we have an entire database of who is actively compromised in real time. So we're not looking for vulnerability, Adam. We're not looking for the possibility of it being exploited. We're actually collecting and harboring evidence of compromise. We know exactly who's compromised. And so that gives our clients the ability to go search through that database of organizations and say, oh, wow, I had no idea that my neighbor was actually that hacked. I'm going to limit my exposure to them at this point. Wow. So you know what they say about Chuck Norris? He doesn't sleep. He waits. <laughs> That's exactly so essentially, what we do. So essentially, Prevalian is, is the Chuck Norris of, uh, of cybersecurity. I'll take it. All right. All right. So basically, you know, you don't, you know, you don't let people get hacked. You're, you're the one that hacks the hack. Now, I, I don't know. I don't have the Chuck Norris facts in front of me right now. Even <laughs> though I know about a hundred of them right off the top of my head. I was going for the one where he doesn't do push-ups. He actually pushes the earth down, but I flubbed it. <laughs> so maybe I'll, I'll contact him and ask him. Hey, uh, real quick. I have a, I have a, I have a Chuck Norris fact for our listeners. If you're curious about it. Sure. Now this is, now this is a story told to me and it was told to me by somebody who actually used to work for, Chuck Norris's organization who knows Chuck Norris. So I don't know how factual this is. This could have been somebody just talking smack, but I kind of believe it in a way. Uh, anybody who's listening to this show who's ever had um, hair implants or hair transplants to restore their hair uh, would know that when you're having those um, implants done to put, the, to put the new things in so your hair will grow again, you have a little bit done at a time because your head will swell if you're having like a bald spot corrected. And uh, from what I'm told, Chuck Norris has hair implants and he had all of his done at once. And his head uh, swelled up uh, so that for a brief period of time, it was in the shape of a pear and he had to wear a giant cap. <laughs> I've been told that, I don't know how factual that is, but when you consider the Chuck Norris facts, I, I'm thinking, yeah, I really wouldn't put this past him. That's funny, Adam. I mean, I mean, I mean, that's like the round, that's like the roundhouse kick of uh, getting your uh, hair loss reduced. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> but I the thought you were going to relate the size of his head to his ego for a minute, but uh, I didn't know where we were going with that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, well, you know, uh, Chuck Norris doesn't follow fashion trends. Fashion trends follow Chuck Norris. Then he turns around and roundhouse kicks him because nobody follows Chuck Norris. <laughs> see we have some fun on this show too uh I, kareem hajazi thank you so much for being with us here today and telling us a bit about prevalian and uh helping us have a new view on 
dealing with cybersecurity and cyber risk. And I appreciate your approach to this view of cyber risk insurance as taking steps necessary to, in effect, create an insurance policy, so to speak. I mean, I originally, when I looked at this, I thought literally you were selling cyber risk insurance that people pay a monthly premium for. Uh, and I kind of left that loop open at the beginning of this sure. conversation just so that people would understand what we're actually discussing here is how to ensure to the best of your ability that you're dealing with cybersecurity in a way that's less likely to put you in an emergency pickle. Right, letting people know what their exposures might be to actively compromise entities they're already working with, which is the first step in actually getting a policy written to begin with. So exactly, exa exactly, yeah. because this does go back to your business liability insurance, right. um, especially if it's a comprehensive policy and you're dealing with things like supply chains and uh, users logging into a member site, all this stuff can become very relevant. Exactly right. Yep. All right. Well, again, thank you for being with us. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Adam. All right. And uh, I've, Trust that everybody has enjoyed today's episode as much as I have. Check out your previous and upcoming episodes right here on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite syndication network so you can download and replay this episode and get more fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Till next time, have a great day. Take care. <laughs>